Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. I'm going to have you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and hold your place there, and then I'll just review a little bit. Acts chapter 3, verse number 19 says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God, notice it's not the badness of God, leads you to repentance. What leads us to repentance? The goodness of God leads us to repentance. Amen? So we're talking about repentance. We've covered several things, but I want to go over the general definition that we have for repentance. True repentance lies in the mind, not in the emotions. It is not the same as a fleeting sorrow for past actions. Rather, it is a solid intellectual decision to turn about face, take a new direction, and revise the pattern of one's life. True repentance is a mental choice to leave what is displeasing to God and to turn toward Him with all of one's heart, mind, and body in order to follow Jesus. That's what true repentance is. So last week, we began to look at why repentance is so important not only for the believer, but also for the unbeliever. We looked at a few passages of Scripture and began to make the connection between truth and repentance. How many know that truth sometimes hurts? Okay? But they're directly connected, and we'll make a couple of statements here that will help with that this morning. Once a person repents, it then gives them access to the truth that they have turned toward. So when you repent, you actually turn from whatever you're facing and going towards, you make, you make a 180, so to speak, you turn around and you start pursuing something else. That's truly what repentance is. But repentance is not a one-time event. Repentance in the biblical sense, especially for the believer, is this continual process where you're continually growing. If you've been saved for a really long time and you're not seeing new things, something's wrong. I said, if you've been saved for a really long time and you're not seeing new things, something's wrong. Because fellowship with God is, never gets old. How many know this? That even in eternity, we will be seeing new dimensions of God that we've never seen before. Now, that, that makes sense to me. Some people are like, well, you've got that crutch. You know that crutch. You've got that religious crutch in your life. You've got Jesus is your crutch because you can't handle it on your own. Durr. <laughs> N- <laughs> that's not a Greek word. (laughs) You're right. I can't. It's not a religious. You know, people say, well, which God are you going to choose? Choose. There's only one. And he chose me first. He chose me first. Well, you need that crutch. And so much of that, it, you look at people's lives and you go, that, that don't know the Lord or, or, or prideful that way, their lives are such a mess. Even if they have success in an area, other areas will be totally demonically oppressed and depressed and possessed. And so repentance, that's what repentance is. Repentance is this humility thing that we do where we turn to God and it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. And when we turn toward truth, we reap reap the harvest of truth. We saw that this truth that is given can have an initial feeling of pain because God's word pierces and penetrates like a sword. 
This does not mean we need to be harsh when ministering the word of God, but neither do we need to water it down in order to protect a person from hurt feelings. We live in a culture where you can't even blink out of sync, and somebody is going to sue you for hurting their feelings. Where, where situation where people think they have the right to make everybody around them adjust to their feelings, and they call it love. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the opposite of love. Love is, I'm inconvenienced for you. You want to have a successful marriage? Stop trying to get your spouse to do everything your way. Amen. Yep. It's the way it is. You'll have a phenomenal marriage if you're outdoing one another in giving to each other. Amen. <laughs> well, that my spouse, I'm the giver and my spouse is the taker. You got a scripture on that, do you? Yeah, <laughs> oh, well, marriage counseling's over. All right. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 5 1. I'm going to show you where Paul hurt some feelings to save some lives with truth. And this is repentance. Paul says this it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. People say, can, can church people sin? <laughs> Sometimes better than the Gentiles. <laughs> it's true. People say, well, they weren't saved. Paul never said they weren't saved. I said, Paul never said they weren't saved. But they're in sexual immorality. If you've been, in, if you've been around ministry for longer than a year, you know this happens. I, just yesterday, I was in a conversation with a pastor here in town. We were just discussing some things. And he said to me, he's a part of a particular uh, group that supports pastors. And he said the amount of uh, infidelity and adultery that took place among pastors during COVID skyrocketed. And I thought, What? And I wasn't, you know, it wasn't condemning to me. It was just shocking to me. And he said, yeah, because they they got so depressed because they couldn't have church. I'm thinking, why are they getting depressed? If you're fellowshipping with God, I'm not saying depression can't come against you. Because it will. But when you know how to fight in the spirit, you can drive depression out the door, down the street, You can say, go to the neighbor's house. They're believing for it. (laughs) But especially among ministers, how many had feelings in lockdown stage? I had lots of feelings, but they don't lead us. We're led by the Lord, amen? So he says this, he goes on to say, that a man has his father's wife, and that is really weird if you think about that, okay? And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. But you got to remember this when you read these things. Corinthians worshiped Diana before they worshiped Jesus. 
Diana was a female god. All the ministers in, the, in this uh, church of Diana were females. And they had temple prostitutes. We have the same thing today. It's just labeled differently. It's, there's no difference. Same devil, different generation. They just label it different. But so, I want to I tie this in right here. Now you know why Paul talks about the Corinthian church, about women not speaking in church. Because they were the leaders in the prominent religion in that day, at that time. And so there was a power struggle that when It wasn't women can't preach. There was an issue because of the past with the, what they were brought out of that caused the women to be overly domineering and controlling. And I'll just say this, they still exist today. And there's men that do it too. For he says this, for indeed I was, I, uh, um, for I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit and the power of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So I want you to see something here. Let's go through this. First of all, we see this. Paul is so astonished by this act of sin in the church that he tells the Corinthians that the Gentiles don't even do this. Paul loved this congregation, and he didn't want to see the church there jeopardized with the leaven of sin. Sin never addressed and left to itself is like leaven in dough. It has an effect. It has a growing effect. And that's why repentance, one of the reasons repentance is so important. Since this is the case, Paul adamantly urged these believers to take immediate action against their spiritually poisonous activities before the whole church became contaminated. So what was happening here was this, and we see this today specifically. This is a pride issue. What's happening is the church knows that this man's in sin. This man knows he's in sin. The woman knows they're in sin, but the church is treating them like everything's okay and it's all all right. This is not an issue where this gentleman came to the church and he, he's never been saved before and this lady has never been saved before and they're coming out of a life of sin. In other words, you know, sometimes people think, well, if we do this, there'll be nobody in the church. You know, who, how are visitors going to come? How are, this isn't talking about visitors. This is a specific situation where things are understood and known that this is wrong and in defiance against God... They are flaunting their sin. And instead of the Corinthians calling them out on it, they're going, well, I guess maybe it's okay. You know, they've probably asked for forgiveness. I know, usually that's about the way that drops. Remember, asking for forgiveness is different than repenting. Yeah. Repenting is changing. You can ask for forgiveness. If you sin the same sin, 70 times 7 in one day, you can ask God. I mean, you'd have to really try probably to do that. If you did that, you could ask God for forgiveness, and guess what God would do? He would forgive you every single time. But what is absent if you keep sinning that same sin? Repentance. Repentance is absent. And that's the issue that they're dealing with here. They know, these people know that this is wrong. So this is a call to repentance made to believers. A call to change of thinking and actions from the top to the bottom. Ultimately, as we will see, Paul now is in the administration of godly sorrow. How many have ever heard of godly sorrow? 
We know this is the case because, and we will see this in 2 Corinthians. So let's go there. Why don't you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Godly sorrow ties to what we saw in Acts last week about the truth. It cuts and pierces the heart. This is the same principle, just using different words. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 8 says this. Paul says this. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. How many have ever made, regretted making someone sorry? It depends on what you made them sorry about. This needs to be realized. It depends on what they made, you made them sorry about. And this is what Paul's going to go into. He said, though I did regret it, so like every good preacher, he kind of felt bad for what he said for a little bit. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. In the New Living Translation, it's stated this way. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first. For I know it was painful to you for a little while. So we see a principle here that we saw in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, concerning being cut to the heart with truth. In Acts, the cut was, was to unbelievers, but here it is to who? Believers. The cut was made to believers. So they spoke the truth and it cut to the heart. Paul spoke the truth and it cut to the heart. What if the Lord sent you to correct somebody else who was in sin? Depending on your level of insecurity, you would probably write what Paul wrote. Oh, I kind of feel bad for doing that, but it was best. How many have ever done that before? Amen? But what is this? This is godly sorrow, what is, and it's coming because of truth. And what is going to be the result? Repentance. So think of it in a bigger picture, because oftentimes we do this. We think in small, little, or verse sections. Think of it in a bigger picture. So what do we know that repentance is? What do we know that repentance does? Repentance causes a change. You turn. You go another direction. If I was headed toward evil... And now I'm headed toward good, even though the truth that came was painful, is it going to pay off in the end? So you would speak the truth in love. Why? People, you know, there are people that refuse to speak truth to people that they're close to because they love themselves more than the other person. You know, a good pastor doesn't seek to be just your friend. They don't. They have to speak truth. Well, if you, would spe- if, you would, if you wouldn't talk about repentance, preacher, your church would be 400. Oh, it's about the numbers. I didn't see that in the, in the uh, description of what a pastor or a minister is called to do. I didn't see that in there. Jesus was so adamant at times that he just went ahead and said, you 70 can leave. Come on. I know he didn't dismiss them, but he, he taught on eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Do you think he didn't know they were going to be offended? He knew. And what did it do? It, it, it shriveled everything down to the ones that really believed him. Amen. I heard Andrew Womack say this years ago. He went to, he went to a church. He goes to a church of thousands. And he said, he, he told the pastor, he said, if you give me a few months, I'll whittle this church down to a thousand. He said, if you give it to me and you give me a few more months after that, I'll have it down to about seven or 800. <laughs> He's not a pastor. 
But you know what? The mark of a pastor is not the size of the congregation. It isn't. I love what my father-in-law said to me, Terry. He, he said, if it's all about numbers, the Muslims got huge numbers. That's a good point. It's not. It's about change and truth. And truth can be sharp. It can penetrate. And so Paul said, yeah, I was upset a little bit. I was like, ah, do I really want to send this? But I sent it, and it was right. The word sorry in the Greek is the word lupeo, which describes pain or grief. Apparently, Paul's first letter caused the Corinthian congregation to feel deeply pained and grieved. Paul knew this had to be their response. Paul knew this had to be their response. He went on to tell them, I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry. Twice in this verse, Paul acknowledged that they, were, that they had been pained by the previous letter he sent to them. Skip down to verse 9, 2 Corinthians 7, 9. He says, now I rejoice, not that I have made you sorry, but that your sorrow led to what? Huh. Is, the, is this the goodness of God? People say, well, if you love me, you'll just accept me the way I am. No, we love you in spite of who you are or the way you are. God's love is unconditional. The world and the church confuses this all the time. Uh, uh, Rick was, kept saying this morning this statement, greasy grace. Basically, greasy grace boils down to this, universalism. That everybody's okay, we're all okay, and everybody's going to heaven because God is love. And, you, you know, love would never, never send somebody to hell. Well, you're missing major portions of truth. God doesn't send anybody to hell. They choose it. God, through Christ, has already sent, technically, if they receive it, everybody to heaven. In other words, what I'm saying by that is not that everybody goes to heaven. What I'm saying is, is the door is not closed to anyone if they will open up their heart and receive but you have to yield. And people say, well, it's difficult. <laughs> it's the difference between freedom and bondage. It's the difference between freedom and bondage. And the longer you go, the easier it gets because you'll let go of your control. But that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. I love this. He, they were made sorry How? In a godly manner, Paul revealed that the Corinthians didn't listen to his earlier message. They accepted it completely, just, excuse me, Paul revealed that the Corinthians didn't just listen to his earlier message. They accepted it completely and made the decision to change. In fact, they had obeyed, some, uh, they had obeyed him so entirely that they experienced a total transformation, making them unrecognizable from the sinful condition for which Paul rebuked them in the previous epistle. Thus, the entire phrase in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, as Rick Renner states it, could be, excuse me, could be interpreted this way. I don't rejoice that I caused you pain and grief, but I do rejoice that my letter made you purpose in your hearts to change. Let me go back to this. If you want to stop fighting with your children, change. And I don't care what age they are. I'm not talking about just your two-year-old. No. You know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm talking about if older, younger, it doesn't matter. If you want to stop fighting with the, your coworkers, stop. 
How many have seen The Chosen? I've only watched the episodes about five times each. I think every leader in every church should have to watch them the rest of their lives. Because I'm telling you, he did a personality study on those things, and it comes through awesome. There's a scene where they're in, the Samarit- they're in uh, Samaria, and Jesus healed the man. I love the way they tie in the stories. Listen, if you're watching it with a, like, this isn't exactly accurate, you're going to get nothing out of it, okay? All right. I used to do that, so that's why I'm, I'm being hard on myself. Okay, so the, there's the, Jesus goes off on his own, and they're eating breakfast in, uh, in this house, and they're all trying to lead among the disciples. Well, with the exception of a few, mainly James and John and Peter and Andrew. And the only reason Andrew's along for the ride is because Peter throws him in. He just basically does whatever Peter does. Andrew, he's just following along. And James and John are making this list, da-da-da-da-da, and they think they're pretty high on the hog because they were in Jesus' inner circle for a little bit there. And they're talking about what's going to happen. And they're, they're like, we need a plan. And, the, and I think Mary, one of them says this. She says, uh, she says he's going to do what he wants to do. We just need to follow him. Well, we need to have some order, some structure, you know? We need to have things in order. And, and finally... Uh, <laughs> James and John are sharing what they want, and they take a vote, and nobody follows them. It's hilarious. It's just basically James and, oh, no, Matthew follows them, because he's kind of in against Peter as well. People say, it wasn't like that. It was exactly like that. If you read through the Gospels, you can see it over and over. and They competed with each other. Come on. James and John, their mommy went to Jesus and asked if, he, if, if her boys could have a seat in, next to him in their throne, in heaven. Now, are you that bold? The son of God's walking around, you're like, now Jesus, you know my boys, James, I love my little boys, they're the best boys. They need a seat on either side of you. How much money is it going to take? They were competing against each other. Instead of yielding to the Lord and to his leadership. And we have to watch out for this because that competition can come in. Boy, it can take over. Well, the carpet on the church isn't a great color. Who picked it out? Well, I can tell you this. We don't have committees for that. And we never will. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that color. Well, close your eyes. You won't see it. (laughs) Finally, James and John made this statement, and John made this statement when they were trying to decide. He said, well, I'm tired of arguing every time there's a decision to be made and every day about what we're going to do. And Thaddeus, the quiet, quieter one, says, then don't argue. It is that simple. Just don't argue. If you want more peace in your life, don't argue. Change. Let it go. Well, it's not the way I would do it. Okay. Are you in charge? Where you're in charge, you should lead there. But if you're not, don't try and take the lead. 
well, all my ideas are the good ideas. Let's vote on that. <laughs> you don't know how much experience I have. I don't know why I'm off on this. Somebody needs to repent in this area. <laughs> Oh, I know why. It'll stop fights. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Glory to God. Truth can hurt. Paul went on to elaborate, for you were made sorry in a godly manner. This phrase, godly manner, could be translated, your pain was in response to God's dealing with you. Your pain was in response to God's dealing with you. How many have felt that before? And, it, and it's, now, now, hear me. This is not condemnation. This is conviction, which means, you say, what does that mean? That, I don't know about you, but when God has dealt with me, I've wept over things that I've done wrong, but I felt good about it. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I didn't feel like God was browbeating me. And like I, I, my, when God corrected me, my faith remained, my expectation of his goodness remained. I didn't feel like I was going to be, you know, not be able to eat out of the fridge anymore in heaven. <laughs> right? Like he didn't, he wasn't like, he didn't cut my allowance off. Does that make sense? Okay. I got to keep that in mind because condemnation can sneak in with some of these topics. Although the sorrow that the Corinthian believers felt may have been initiated by Paul's letter, the truth was that their hearts felt pain because God's spirit was dealing with them. Thus, the verse could be rendered, and this is Rick Renner's, I don't rejoice that I caused you to feel pain and grief, but I rejoice that my letter made you want to change. Your pain was your response to God's dealing with you. Verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Do you see that? How many? There are two sorrows there, correct? Okay. Notice that what, what true godly sorrow produces. It produces repentance. When we repent godly sorrow, in godly sorrow, there is never regret. Why does godly sorrow produce repentance? When truth is revealed to a believer by the Spirit of God concerning sin, the believer with a right heart will feel the pain of not living from the true nature of God within them. The nature of God within Now listen to me. You have to hear this because you will miss what the revelation Paul got is if you don't hear this. The pain that you feel or the discomfort that you feel as a believer when you're in sin is you are functioning out of your nature. You're functioning, listen to me, outside of your nature. The reason why you don't want to sin is because your nature is not sin. People say, no, 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 that's not it. That can't be right because, no, your flesh has a sin nature. Your spirit is not bunking Jesus and devils together. You say, what do you mean by that? Come on, you've got to get your thinking right. Uh, you'll get a revelation right here if you really think about this and, and listen to me. It is not your nature to live in sin. It's your flesh's nature. If you are overly mindful of your flesh, that nature will rule you, you'll act in sin, and your inside will go, no, 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 that's not who you are. 
no, 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 that's not who you are. Don't do that. That's not who you are. But if you'll get your mind renewed to the word of God, which is repentance, you'll go, oh, I'm not an addict. Now, this takes a fight because the devil, like uh, Rick was saying this morning in leadership or in uh, Vessels of Honor in the Bible study, he said this, the devil will bring to you your old nature, your old way of doing and go, this is who you are. Take it. God will go, no, that's not who you are. Let's go this way. It's the difference between conforming and transforming. Be not conformed to this, but be. The Holy Spirit is saying, you don't have to talk that way anymore because it's not who you are. Now watch this. Even when you yield to your flesh, God will go, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. Let's go this way. People say, well, I did these things, and now God brought all these diseases on me. He brought on this car accident. No, 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 no. God has no diseases to give. None. What part of God do you, is heart disease? What part of love What part of love is car accidents? And people say, well, then what happened? You got out from where you were supposed to be, and guess who's outside the fence of God? Satan. Well, but I'm a Christian. So, function like one. (laughs) Right? Function. What is it? You say, what are you saying? Repentance. I used, to, I used to curse, you know, my neighbor, but I don't. I bless my neighbor now. <laughs> Some of you don't know. So <laughs> you receive that blessing in the name of Jesus. There we go. Mike and Suzanne moved next door to us. So <laughs> we didn't know they were moving in. I was just looking across the street. My kids were like, that's Mike over there. I bless my neighbor in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Godly sorrow produces repentance. So what it means is you need to live from the nature of God within you. And whenever you don't, your heart will go, nope, that's not it. This way. And you can repent. Amen? Believers uh, who don't live from that nature, what happens is they've allowed the flesh and the temptation of the devil to lead them in a lifestyle that they were not born for. This piercing of truth in a heart leads to a change of thinking and living. I have never met a believer who has truly repented of their sin and regretted it. I never have. I never have. The second part of this verse deals with another kind of sorrow, and that is the sorrow of the world. This is a sorrow that people experience when they are caught but do not want to repent or change. How many have met them? Did you eat? <laughs> did you get into the cookie jar and the kids got cookie? Uh-huh. 
Uh-uh. <laughs> That's why you got to paddle the rear end. All right. People say, no, I don't want to hurt their feelings. It's going to be hurt when they go do that out in the world when they're older. And it won't be as controlled. Yeah. This is a sorrow that people experience when they are caught but do not want to repent. As the rest of the passage says, this kind of sorrow will produce death, not change. People say, uh, through the years, actually I wrote this down, uh, through the years I've had the opportunity to watch people do this over and over again. They cry and often get very emotional but walk right back into their, uh, what they were living in before. The wages of sin and death is death and it will always produce a harvest if not repented of. It will. People say, well, God, God did this to me. This, I reaped this death because I... And no, God didn't do it. The wages of sin is death. It has its own wage. God's not even mad at you while you're in the sin. Well, yes, he is. No. God believes Jesus' blood worked. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How, what part of the sacrifice of Christ was incomplete? Which part? People say, well, but I've done it wrong this way for so long. Guys, turn around. Stop. Go towards God and you'll start planting seeds of Zoe life. And the things where sin has rooted in and caused physical and emotional and relational and all these issues will begin to be rooted out of your life. And you'll have harvests of Zoe life. The God kind of spring up out of your being. The, the, the medication that you take to deal with the issue that you have, it, you, God won't even deal with you on a physical healing thing. You'll just start getting so full of God that the disease will go. And people say, how could God be that good? What about all these issues that are in the earth? Guys, we are going to have to deal with this. We are in this dispensation. We are here right now. There are teenagers. There are young people. There are middle-aged people. There are. It is now the popular thing to teach the next generation that it's okay to not be the gender you were born. What kind of devils do you think are going to manifest through this? The wonderful thing is, is we have an answer. You guys, I will say this, and I think we should have laws that are in line with righteousness, so I'm not, I'm not getting away from that. But I will tell you this, you can pass all the laws you want to, and people will still be homosexual. They'll still live in it. They'll struggle with it. Why? Flesh is flesh is flesh is flesh is flesh. The nature of the flesh. And you say, what do they need? They need an encounter with God and love, and then they need to be taught their identity in Christ. There, there are little kids, and they, they put it on the news, like, and they, they worship, you know, like it's like this big celebration. I never tell my, young, my boy that he's a boy. You pick whatever, what do you feel like today, and you got a five-year-old or a four-year-old running around in a dress one day and acting like a boy the next. What is that that kid's fault? So what's going to set them free? Jesus in us. 
I'm as conservative as they probably come. But I'm telling you, when it gets down to sin issues, there is no law of man that can set a person free. Only resurrection power can set people free. Amen? Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.